Hey, my name is Chris Sherrod. I'm the discipleship minister here at church. And we're about to have our family dedication. Uh, this is a devoted Sunday, so we get to experience baptisms and family dedication and even do communion. All of these are symbols, and it's really a, a, a common theme in the Bible about reminders and representatives of, uh, of spiritual truths. And so we did baptism already, and that's uh, this outward sign of what's gone on in someone's life and their heart of being buried with Christ and raised to walk in this new life. And we're going to do communion, which is this reminder of our salvation and the message of the gospel, uh, being saved through Christ's sacrifice. And then we're also now going to do family dedication. And let me read a verse for you that's our key verse. Anytime we do this is a reminder to parents and grandparents and all of us of what uh, God says about the importance of children. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, <clears throat> the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It's literally just all of your everything is what you love God with. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, not just in your head, but on your heart. When Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, he went to, to this passage. Um, faithful Jews all over the world every morning start their day off with this. And this is a key passage for why we do what we do here. But here's what I want you to notice. What's really uh, important is the first application God then makes after he says, hey, my word needs to be on your heart and you're loving with all your everything, is to parents. And so it says then in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. The Hebrew word there literally means sharpen. You're sharpening your children with these commands. And shall talk of them. When you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, your home is a word environment. It's just part of what we do as a family. It's in front of our eyes. It's, it's in our ears. Like this is what I want your homes to be like. So we do a family dedication a few times a year and this is a lot of churches call it baby dedication. The reason we call it family dedication is because um, it's not a choice that the child is making uh, at this moment, but it's the parents saying, we are dedicating our children to the Lord and ourselves to raise our kids in an environment where his word is honored. That's a Christ-centered environment. A lot of us know from Proverbs 22 where it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. That word train literally means to dedicate in the Hebrew it's used when they talked about dedicating the temple or dedicating a home. And so that's the basis of what we're doing here. We're dedicating our children uh, to the Lord and ourselves in his service to be the, uh, the primary spiritual caregivers. So what we do is we ask each family to share a verse that they're praying for their child right now. And so we have three families this morning that are dedicating their kids, and we'll do some responsive reading with them. And then as a congregation, we're going to do that as well. So let me start with the Haltums. If you guys will come on up here. And uh, they are bringing Neely, cute picture, and uh, you guys can share your verse for her as well. All right, we chose Romans 8, 37 through 39. Though in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, the Hermans, if you guys want to come up there, they've got Cordelia or Cora. The verse we chose was Proverbs 3, uh, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Wonderful. Thank you. And the Hayes. They have Grayson. Them. We chose Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not dismay for the Lord God. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Awesome. So if you guys will listen, I'm going to read uh, some statements to you, and then you guys get to respond as parents. Uh, the first one says this, 
Parents, the child you hold is a gift from your heavenly Father. Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him. Before the thought of a child entered your minds, the Lord had already determined their birth and their coming home to you. And he has entrusted you with the magnificent responsibility of parenthood. And parents, you say, I acknowledge. Wonderful. Scripture commands parents to raise their children in the training and instruction of the Lord. Today, you're publicly declaring that you understand your role as the primary faith trainer of your children and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will intentionally raise them in a Christ-centered, God-honoring home. You will be the ones to model, teach, and reinforce the Christian faith every day. Do you accept this role and commit to nurture them, love them, and set their feet on a path of following Jesus as the Lord of their lives? Great. And congregation, if you'll stand, we're going to together affirm what we also need to remember, that we are a part of the raising of these children um, as a as a faith um, family. The, the Bible talks about every home is kind of like a, a little church, and every church is a big family. And so as a family, we're going to be reminded of this. Church, this morning we have heard these parents declare that, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will take the gospel into their homes. But we are also promising to partner with them and to prayerfully walk this journey alongside them with the goal of seeing these children know Christ and glorify Him. Church, you say this together. We acknowledge our role in the lives of these families. May we be fully devoted to answering that call. We pledge to be a faithful resource, friend, example, teacher who always points them to the truth of the Bible. Then let us as one body affirm that we believe, or what we believe, say this with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord, we're so grateful for these children. Um, as we read already that they are gifts from you, the rewards um, Lord, we pray that they would be arrows in your hand, that they would make an impact in this world for Jesus and his kingdom. We pray for wisdom for these parents, that they would um, daily turn to you, run to you, Lord, as their source of strength and wisdom and love and joy, uh, that their marriages would be strong, that their homes would be Christ-centered and Bible-saturated. And Lord, I pray that we as a congregation would uh, join with them in pointing these children to you, that we would help in the teaching and, and raising and modeling of them. Um, for your kingdom and for your glory, not our own. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. All right. Well, Sunday, um, which always means, you know, we're always kind of playing it a little bit by ear and things are going to be a little more rough and uh, and it means the nine o'clock service is definitely a dress rehearsal. If you'd been here this morning, uh, at this point, I realized I didn't have my mic on and had to get it in. So it was a, it was a we always have fun on the, on the Devoted Sundays. Um, and also, today is my mom's birthday. She's not here. She might be watching. Hi, Mom, if you're watching. Uh, and uh, so that's fun that today is her birthday, and I get to celebrate that from on stage for her for a moment. And uh, so anyway, that's, that's really cool. And uh, just one of those fun little, little bonus perks. All right, so one of the things we talked about last Week was our temptation, exactly what Peter said about being careful that we don't use our freedom as a cover-up for evil. And I think most of the time when we read that, I know typically in the past when I've read it, I've thought of that as like the mindset of going, oh, there's this secret sin that I've got, there's this sin in my life that's, that I know I shouldn't be doing, but, you know, God's, God, Jesus paid for that sin already, I can get away with it. Um, which is obviously not okay, it's not cool, it's, it's presumptuous and, and not very uh, glorifying to God. And yet, at the same time, I think I had kind of, kind of funneled it way, away that way, and I really, as I've been thinking about it, realized maybe one of the ways that we use our freedom as a cover-up for evil is not necessarily by transgressing against God, but by failing to do what He's called us to do because we're, can, we're free not to, in a sense. Because of grace, we're free not to do these things. And one of those that we talked, started talking about last week, and will continue today and continue into next week even, is the idea that we're guilty maybe of, of kind of in a cowardly sense holding on to the gospel, holding on to the grace that God has given us and not sharing it with other people. 
and that because we feel awkward when we do it, or we know it's unpopular to do it, or we think somebody's going to think weird things about us, or whatever, so we use our freedom as a cover-up to disobey Christ. I'll read you directly what he said in just a few minutes. Um, So that we kind of turn ourselves into um, slaves who have found a master who is kind and good and righteous and just, and on top of all of that, wants to adopt us as sons and daughters, not just as slaves. Not just to purchase us and our contract into slavery, but also, yes, that is true, but also to adopt us as sons and daughters into the family. And, and finding that, you'd think it would be our tendency to want to go back to the orphanage and tell everyone you got you, you go back to the first to the slave market and the, the the false masters and go to those slaves and go hey if you're still enslaved to sin if you're still enslaved to the world if you're still enslaved to popularity or or money or or whatever or worse enslaved to yourself it's time for you to be set free from that because man have I found a gig man have I found an awesome opportunity or like the orphan who gets adopted by you know the wealthy daddy warbucks. And then we're standing out there just enjoying our limousine ride rather than going back to the orphanage and tell people, hey, all you other orphans, I have found someone and he wants to adopt everyone who will come. Whosoever will come, he'll adopt. And so that would be the tendency. These last couple of weeks um, teaching first at our student camp and then last week at uh, Pinecoast Family Camp. So I taught at student camp on the theme of wilderness. And uh, I mentioned in the first service uh, that there's a... I have a weird version, I guess, maybe it's a little bit of pride, pride inappropriately, but I hear people sometimes will reference like, oh, you know, all these, you see it on social media, it's time for us to start teaching the gospel again, or it's, or, uh, you know, it's time for pastors to this, or, or one that I saw, saw not that long ago was somebody complaining about how youth ministry are all just shallow, and, and they don't ever teach the real material, and they don't touch the hard stuff, and I was like, we just, we just did a whole youth camp on the wilderness, like, mm-hmm, yeah, take that. So that's a, like, I, yeah, we deal with the hard stuff, and we teach our students to engage with those hard conversations and to accept the truth that life can be super hard, and it can really kind of stink at times, and it can be a, kind of feel like a nightmare, like you're trapped out in the wilderness, lost in the woods, and all you're feeling is panic and lost and confused and afraid and frustrated and hurt and resentful and all the things that come with being in the wilderness, and so we actually went through um, J- Jesus Christ's time in the wilderness and, and uh, David's time in the wilderness and Elijah's time in the wilderness and Moses' time in the wilderness and what the lessons of the wilderness were. And as I'm teaching through that, I'm communicating with the director, actually Chris Body, who's the director of the camp where I was. He's a member of our church too. And he, he said the theme verse for the week was Psalm 1611, which fit perfectly in with what we were talking about. In fact, it was in my slides for the student ministry. Psalm 1611 talks about how, um, how there is, there in, in God's presence, he has, that He has shown us, I have shown you the path of life, you have shown me the path of life, um, and your presence there is um, there's endless fulfillment, fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, that, when I saw that, and he said, that's the theme verse, and I thought, oh, I need to, I've got to change everything, and really wrestled with God for a day, and, uh, and really prayed about it. And, uh, and so that, that verse is so powerful um, in my mind. It's such a great verse. You may not know this. The name leg means a path. Um, what we discovered several decades ago that the name leg means a path. It's a Scottish term, and, and uh, it actually would be pronounced leg because Scottish. And so the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and it means like a path in the woods or a distance in the woods. And, uh, and so it's, what's intriguing is uh, that's actually our family's verse. It's on the inside of this ring um, that Deborah Harder helped me make for those when our students graduate from high school. Um, they, get this, they get a ring, a family ring, and that's actually Psalm 1611 is the verse there. And I was very much so convinced by God to shift what I was going to teach at family camp over to this conversation about wilderness. And this idea that when we face these hard times, when things don't go the way we want them to go, when things aren't going the way we think they should, when, when things are moving in a direction that frustrates us and they don't seem to get better, our tendency is to lose faith rather than embrace the truth of God's presence even in those times, that His presence is there even in the wilderness. He instructed us to tell other people still trapped in the wilderness about Him. He called on us to do this 
numerous places, but I'll read Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He's covering all the bases there. That means everywhere, in the wilderness, outside of the wilderness, and how often the wilderness is actually what gives us the opportunity to share the gospel is when we've gone through the hard things with people. We're also going to be looking at soon because we're moving into 1 Peter 3 uh, next week, but 1 Peter 3 in verse 15 says this, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. These are the ideas. This is we all need to be prepared to talk about the hope that we have. All of us, each of us need to be prepared to do that. We need to be going and seeking out those conversations so that we can have them with people. And we need to stop hoarding this good news. And instead be inviting people into the places where they're going to hear it. Churches and life groups and small groups and events and activities. And inviting them into our homes where they can see it lived out and experience it with us. And inviting them directly into the gospel by sharing it with them. So one of the things we wanted to do last week, uh, Reagan Reed and Esther Anthony both came up and gave us the gospel and told us, this is the good news. Um, shared it with me in an effort to convert me. <clears throat> I'm still unconvinced, so I've asked two other people this week um, to come and step in in this and lead in this. And one is Bob Livesay. So, Doctor Bob, come on up, and we'll. Oops, let me grab this mic again. Um, there we go. To come up and share. There you go, sir. And uh, and then uh, yeah, I'll let you take it away. Go for it. Well, before I, I jump into this, I just want you to know I've always looked forward to an opportunity to lead my pastor into a saving relationship <laughs> with Jesus Christ. I thought these stools were the same height, but I don't think they are now. Did you now. put me down a little bit <laughs> Not on purpose, I promise. I can hear, I can get no, this no, one. No, Chris, Chris, <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. Would you prefer? No, That's I'm a footstool. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to sit down here if you do that. Okay, so this was a, uh, a way of presenting Jesus Christ that I learned from a fellow who was three years ahead of me at Dallas Seminary. And he was an evangelist, which is very unusual coming with that theological training. But Larry was so effective worldwide, and, so, and someone asked him, well, how do you share Christ individually across the table? So Larry put this together, and that's what I'm going to share with you. It's, uh, you can tell it, it's called the bad news, good news approach, but I trained our church with this. I used this when Ann and I traveled all over uh, the world, and I would, I would have sort of a captive audience on these 13-hour and 45-minute trips to Narita, <laughs> you know, Tokyo, and then on to Myanmar, and so it was just a great thing. And actually, I, I know I can't take too much time with this, but I've actually had one person say, no, I don't want you to tell me that. Hmm. when I asked their permission. One person. And uh, so anyway, what I usually do is take about five to 30 minutes, Chris, and just talk with the person. This is not a project. This is a person for whom Christ died. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a person that I want to get to know, takes interest in his life, his family, his endeavors, where he, where he works, you know, the things that excite him and turn him on in life. So I want to get to know him. And then I, uh, through getting to know him, what I want to do at that point is kind of move it toward some spiritual stuff. Like, have you ever heard of church? Uh, have you ever gone to church? You know what religion is? What is religion to you? And just get him engaged on that level. And then I move into two diagnostic questions. These I have used for years and they come from evangelism explosion. They're called diagnostic questions. And they, the first one I'll ask Chris. Chris, mm -hmm. with all of our discussion and all of our discussion about uh, you know, the church and your background and religion right. and stuff, have you come to a place in your own spiritual life that you know for sure that you have eternal life? I, don't, I mean, I, I, gosh, no for sure. I feel like I'm a good person. I think God loves me. I think I've got a good shot at if there's a heaven that I will go there. Well, he does love you. That's for sure. Well, let me ask you something that's a little more probing, if I may. Yeah. All right. Let's say something really cataclysmic occurred, like it happened in Houston with Harvey or, or, or whatever. Uh, let's say you got COVID and, and you died, and mm. all of a sudden you're standing before God in heaven. And God says, Chris, 
Chris League. <laughs> Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say, Chris? I'm, I think I would tell him I'm a good person and, and that I've done good things and I've, I've been to church and even got baptized as a kid. Like, I think that would... And all those things are good. But now let me ask you something else. Has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? No, I don't think so. No, no one's ever done that. May I? Please. Yeah, sure. And so what I would do, I'd just carry in my wallet, and I've done this for all these years, a track. Not that I don't know what I'm going to share, but in this track, there are verses. And I'd love to have the person with whom I'm sharing actually read those verses out loud so that they will not be distracted. They'll actually be directed to what God is saying to them, that which is alive and active. So I want to include the scripture. So I'll use just this little track, and the track will show up here as David will put it up for us. This is the bad news, good news. There are two points, there are two verses, and there are two illustrations. The first two are the bad news. The second two are the good news. So in the Bible, you have bad news and good news. The bad news has to do with you and me, mm -hmm. and the good news has to do with the Lord. Okay. So let's start, Chris, with the bad news. First of all, the first point is we all are sinners. You and I are sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, when the Bible talks about sin, it talks about lying. It talks about lusting, hating, cheating, uh, all those kind of things. Murder, right. obviously, farther down the line, you'd say. But those are all sin. But actually, there's one word in the Bible, and it, the word sin actually means to miss the mark. What does that mean? Well, when you think about God being perfect okay. and us not being perfect, then you can see that there's a great chasm. You can see that uh, he is sort of the standard uh, with his character as perfect. And so there's a great separation there. All right, so let me illustrate this for you, all okay. right? Let's say that having talked to you, you are from Nacogdoches. Uh -huh. Well, let's say that we both go outside here and we, we pick up just the perfect rock, just the perfect one that you think you can throw further than me, farther than me. Okay. All right, so what you do, uh, you say, well, being gracious, Bob, you go first. Okay. Well, you know you're going to beat me. I'm a little bit older. That's okay. <laughs> I throw it 75 yards. Pretty excited about that. Yeah. But you throw it 125 yards. You're jumping up and down. Right, okay? right. You're so excited. And then all of a sudden you come to the realization we didn't throw it to the destination. We didn't throw it where we wanted to. And okay. that's what we're saying... We were throwing it to Nacogdoches? Nacogdoches. And okay. we didn't get yeah, it there. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for helping me be more clear. <laughs> and we didn't get it there. Yeah. And that's the way we are with our good works. We don't reach perfect. God is that benchmark, that standard. He's okay. perfect. All right. So we fall short of that glory. That's bad news. But the second point of the bad news is even worse. Okay. There's a penalty for that sin. The, excuse me. The penalty for sin is death. And if I were to have you read in Romans 6, 23, the first part of it would be uh, for the wages of sin is death. All right, now, let me uh, illustrate this, wages. Okay. Chris, if you employed me for a week and we agreed upon what you, what we were, you were going to Okay. Pay it, let's say four hundred dollars. At the end of that week, I would come to you and I would say, "I've earned this. Would you please pay me?" And you'd give me four hundred dollars. That's what I had earned. Those were my wages. Okay. In the same way, the Bible says we have earned something. We have earned by our sin, separation, death. Okay. The Bible with the word death means separation. As you've done funerals, obviously. Right. Um, moving a little way here, but, <laughs> but as you've done funerals you know that death is separation the physical body is lying there but the the immaterial part of man is no longer there right there's a separation the book of revelation even talks about a second death and that death is so far more serious it's separation from god himself mm. now that is really bad news you don't want that penalty right so knowing that we couldn't work our way with our effort to heaven, God came from heaven to earth on our behalf. 
Okay. And so the first point as we talk about this good news is that Christ died for you. Okay. In Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners separated from him, Christ died for us in our place. Okay. Let me illustrate this, Chris. Okay, good. Who is the person that you would say you love the most on all this planet? All this earth. Who's the one, who's your favorite person you love the most? My wife. Ginger, you told me her name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Earlier. Ginger. All right, let's say that something happens here. Let's say that she goes to her OBGYN. Okay. And she had a little pain and she just wanted to check it out. And so she goes, she goes through that uh, diagnostic approach, and, and then there's a biopsy, and it reveals that there's cancer, and it's a kind of cancer that has spread, it's metastasized. And the doctor said it's a rare form, and she will, it's very aggressive, and let's say she's going to die in about five months. Wow. Oh, wow. I mean, here you are with your kids, you want to both, you know, with your dreams and your your hopes and aspirations for them to have marriage partners, to have the grandchildren and all that stuff. And all that stuff is now dashed on the rocks. Mm. And you're in the hospital. Imagine this. Okay. And you, you're right there with her at the hospital bed. She's getting treatment and stuff like that. You're holding each other's hands and your tears are coming down your cheeks. Mm -hmm. and this, this is heartbreaking. And then a, a very unusual thought comes into your mind. And the thought is this. Ginger, I love you so much that I wish that I could take out of your body those cancer cells which are killing you mm -hmm. and put them in my body. Mm -hmm. Chris, if that was possible, what would happen to Ginger? I assume she would live, yeah. She would live, and Chris, what would happen to you? I would die. Chris, that is exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and me. Mm. He came and he took our cancer. He took our sin, that which was causing our separation, our death, and he died in our place. Now, the news gets good, even better, and it is this, that you can be saved by faith. You can actually know for sure that you can go to heaven from the word of God. Hmm. Jesus not only died on that cross, but he rose again on the third day to prove that his death was sufficient. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. So by faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that you can become a Christian. Hmm. Okay, so it's not by works, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift, a free gift, not something you work for. Wow. All right? So, Chris, it requires faith, as Paul tells the Ephesians. Mm -hmm. What is faith? Well, whatever cheer you picked, you didn't look <laughs> at. No. You just didn't look at them. You didn't see how, who made them and how exactly they were constructed. But, Chris, you are placing about, what would you say, 200 pounds? <laughs> we'll go with of that. Of hardened blue steel <laughs> driven by an acute mind on that stool. <laughs> that it might totally support you, all of your weight. That's how you become a Christian. You put your entire weight, you put your entire trust in what Jesus has done for you. Not in baptism, not in works, not in money, not in being a moral man, a good husband, good father, but in what Christ has done completely for you and in your place. Right. Is there anything keeping you from trusting Christ right now. <laughs> Nothing at all. And pastor, would you bow <laughs> Okay. Thank and you. And then if you would, then I would say, would you pray with me out loud? Right. And uh, may I just say this? The experiences that God will give you with people, if you will use his word and offer that <clears throat> opportunity to put their trust in Christ, will absolutely change you because it is a greater miracle to see someone transferred from the domain of darkness into the presence of his light than any other miracle. Mm -hmm. You can be resurrected, but you're going to die again. But trusting in Christ is eternal. Be involved in that. So would you just bow with me and you say after me, Father, I now place my trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. And that's where you become a Christian. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent.
All right, there you go. So you saw it up there on the screen. You will have access to it. We're cutting these into pieces so you can go to the website and watch each of them. Um, and so one of the things I've wanted to do each week and will continue to do um, is not only to have you know, someone who's like, like Dr. Bob has, has years of experience doing this and has shared his faith many, many times um, and is very comfortable with it, but also I know that if not careful, someone could go, well, I'm not a professional. I'm not going to be able to do that. And so having, having other examples, so I've asked Victoria, come on up, Victoria. Victoria is also going to come up and share um, uh, her faith, her, the gospel as she understands it uh, with me, because I'm just, he did a good job, but I'm, not, I'm still not totally convinced, I guess, right? So uh, there you go, you get the mic, and, uh, and you get to share with me, um, this is actually pretty good height-wise. Um, all right, so what is this, uh, what is this good news? How do you, you want to share it with me? Uh, well, first, can I ask you, do you go to church? I, I do, yeah. I mean, I've been. Yeah, what, do you, do you, um, what do you believe about Jesus? Like, uh, where are you in your faith? Um, I, think, I think Jesus was a, I mean, I think he was, I guess, God or the Son of God or whatever, and he was here, and uh, I'm a, I think I'm a good person, and I mean, I've prayed, but, you know, I don't know. I don't, that's kind of it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you are a good person. <laughs> um, but, you know, you know that God loves you. You've, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, okay. And, but um, even though that's one part of the gospel, that God loves you, um, do you also know that not by your own merit do you get to heaven, but um, the way you get to heaven and have eternal life is through Jesus? So you're saying that, like, just me being a good person or doing good things, that's, that's not going to do it? No. <laughs> Because, uh, I mean, like I said, I'm sure you are a good person, but uh, like my pastor said this one time, uh, have you met you? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, what do you mean by that? Like, have I met me? Like, what does that mean? Well, um, if you looked at yourself, you would see that you're um, not perfect. Uh, no, nobody is. Everybody sins. Right. And because of that sin, we're separated from God. But, okay. But because, uh, because Jesus died for our sins and bore... Um, our sins and bore that cost. If we accept him, then we can have eternal life with him. And so, what? How do I? But how would I do that? Like, how do I make that? Well, um, you can. If you believe that he is your savior, then you you accept him into your heart. So you can um, pray about it, and that's pretty much it. Okay, so I just trust him, and that's. Yeah. I just pray and tell him that. Yeah, you you say that. Um, I put my trust in him, and I believe that he is my Savior, and he is the only way to heaven. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Anything else to add? No. That's no, that's good? Mm -hmm. All righty, good. Hey, well done. Good, good. Now, <clears throat> thank you very much. Um, and uh, and at first service, I kind of surprised her with this, but I'm going to keep her up here because she's now going to, we're going to reverse roles now, um, because in addition to, and you've heard now four fantastic gospel presentations. Now, you've seen it's, it is, it's not as hard as we typically think that it's going to be. Um, and I, it's not like I'm making it easy. I'm not, giving, I'm not giving easy answers. I'm giving the answers that at least here, you, you know, if you're, again, if you're overseas, if you're in the Far East, you may get very different answers to some of these questions. But here in Tyler, what you're going to get is, of course, I'm a Christian. I've been raised in the church. I got baptized. I'm whatever. And, and that's true here. I mean, that's true in this room. There are probably many of you in the room who think, well, I'm, I'm a, I mean, I'm a pretty good person, and I've kind of always been a Christian. That's, I hear that phrase a lot. I've, I don't remember any time I wasn't a Christian. Like, okay, but you weren't at some point. You may have even been a member of the church, but no one is born a believer in Jesus Christ. You, there's, a, there's a point for that. That's part of the gospel. And so um, th those are the answers we get here all the time. Uh, in this community. And so I always try to carry around with me, just to give us another simple addition, I try to carry around with me in my bag um, something that I give away as a gift. Um, so when I make this, when I give the gospel presentation myself, um, that I, I use this. And so you've heard, again, now four different ways of doing this, but you've probably noticed some, some coordination, some things that, that is kind of the same there, that there's a problem and you need to fix, that problem needs to be solved and who are you going to look to to solve that problem? And most humans know there's a problem. Um, and so one of the ways, and I don't know if maybe it's just, I, I will honestly tell you, I am so overwhelmed by the thought 
uh, of eternal hell. I believe in it. I think it's clearly there scripturally. But the thought of a human being being sent there um, to receive God's wrath for eternity is so overwhelming to me that it, 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 almost, it almost panics me in a conversation. And so what helps me is to focus in on the way that people, uh, people are living a life, that the have I met you, have you met you conversation, that people have Run it. That was awesome, by the way. But the um, uh, the the uh, and and, by, and incidentally, anytime you can use the words of the person you're talking to, use their actual language. That's a huge bonus. Um, but the uh, um, to say, hey, here's here's what that problem is. And most people realize, even if there isn't a hell, there's a problem. Even if they're uncomfortable with the idea of hell, they look they can look at their own lives and realize that. And when you spend those five to thirty minutes talking with them, you'll hear about. What are the hardest things in your life, and what are the struggles? And when you ask somebody, how can I pray for you, what you're about to hear is the wilderness that they're in. What version of the wilderness am I in right now? And so here's, here's kind of how I like to come at it. So, Vic, Victoria, we've been talking about this whole, um, um, the challenges, you know, that you've been facing with whatever. And, and, uh, and so wouldn't it be cool, wouldn't it be amazing if you could know for sure that the way your story ends, no matter how hard it is between now and then, that, you had a, that there was a really great and she lived happily, happily ever after forever type of ending to your story. Wouldn't that be a cool thing? Yeah, that'd be great. And, and especially when things get hard. And, and I'm sure you have faced some hard things. And, and you're in a stage of life when there's a lot of hard things that you're facing. And, and yet you're probably going to face even harder ones in life. That's just kind of how life works, right? And so um, it would be really cool if God were to create this awesome, amazing, perfect place that we knew that even on today, how bad a day it is, I could go, man, but I, if I just knew, I think how it would change my life if I knew that somewhere down the road, things were going to be perfect someday. No, no more of this. Um, things are kind of okay, but, but perfect, awesome all the time. That would be, that'd be, that'd be very comforting, comforting now, wouldn't it? Um, and to begin to change me into the kind of person who lives that way even now, that would be awesome too. Not going to get there, but because God, I don't think, I mean, you're, you're clearly an amazing person, but I don't think even you would describe yourself as perfect. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> no, I, I haven't met anybody yet willing to do that. And so the problem is, if God lets us as imperfect people into his perfect place, like how, how good are you from a scale of, you know, you're, you're the absolute worst all the way to perfect? Like how would you describe yourself? I'm pretty good. I mean, I'm like decent. Decent, but... pretty good. Okay. So the problem is, if he lets all of us pretty good people into this perfect place, it's going to become a pretty good place rather than a perfect place. I mean, we see what all of us pretty good people do with this place, right? And so, and so it sure would be nice if it was perfect. The problem is, in order for it to be perfect, you're going to have to somehow get perfection, and you don't have that. So I'm going to use this pocket knife as a symbol for that perfection, okay? It's a symbol. It's not perfection, but it's a symbol, Right? And so as God, I'm going to pretend to be God, I'm going to say like, Victoria, I've got to have that kind of perfection from you in order to let you into this place. In order for it to stay perfect, in order for me to be okay with that, you're going to have to be perfect. Do you have this pocket knife? No, I don't. But I can't let you in without the pocket knife, and you're saying you don't have the pocket knife. Well, then we've got a problem, because I want you here, but you don't have the pocket knife. So how are we going to solve I want you here. I want you to have this perfect, per perfect thing so that you can come, but, but you can't get it. You can't make it. So I've, I've got an idea. Can you, can you give me the pocket knife and show me that you... Oh, you have the pocket knife. What the... Where did you get the pocket knife? You gave it to me. Right. Okay. So because God's the only one who has it, he's going to be the, have, to, have to be the one who gives it. And it, becomes, it became yours when? When I accepted it. When you accepted it. See how easy that is? That's the idea of saying, I accept your way of doing this. So what the Bible teaches us is that God created, that He did create this perfect place. And Ephesians 2 tells us that He created it because He is kind, and He is merciful, and He is loving. And He, he thinks it's going to take Him a while to show you just how kind and merciful and loving He is. He thinks it's going to take Him forever to show you that. And he wants to take forever to show you that. So he gives you, it says in Ephesians 2, as a gift of grace, this thing. So being rich in his mercy, etc. Go jump down to verse uh, 8. For by grace, it is a gift. It's a gift. Grace just means gift. It's a gift. You can't do it, which like we said, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. He's going to have to do it for us. So he offers that. That's what Jesus Christ came to do, to, to be born and to live as a human and to die in our place 
and to be raised again from the grave and so that we can follow him to this perfect place. And we may feel far off, but Ephesians 2.13, another verse in that chapter says that though we were far off, we have now been brought near because of his work, because of his blood. And that's what we want. Now, here's what's cool. And then another, all three of these are but statements, but but God, but now, and then but you is the other one. In, in, in uh, 1 Peter, it tells us, it's, it, he makes us into the thing he wants us to be. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belo- of his own possession, a people belonging to him. That way we're now what he needs us to be, what he wants us to be so that he can let us in. He took that on. And, and that's how he took away the imperfection. And now we have this, though we're still messed up in our own way, he takes care of that and he makes it right so that we can go be in this perfect place. Does that make, does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, okay, so that would be, then I would say, as, as Dr. Bob showed us, the example of saying, so then what, is there anything, now that we've talked about, is there anything between you and accepting that free gift? That's what I would do. I'm not going to make you answer that because that's awkward. I, I just had to do it four times. So it's a, um, so good. That, that's, a, that's the way I present the sim, a simple gospel presentation is with that. And you can keep the pocket knife this time. I'm Thank not going to take it back from you like I did last time. All righty, good. Thank you, Victoria. Thank Um, I actually used to carry around a book with me, and I, if I were traveling more, I'd probably do that. Um, um, there was a fascinating uh, book that a lot of people would read called The Testament by John Grisham, which is just a fiction novel, but it has very clear um, gospel presentation in it, or, and or I would carry around The Old Faithful uh, More Than a Carpenter um, by Josh McDowell, and it was just an easy book. It's a small book you could carry it around, and I would use it as the gift. Um, any gift would work. Any picture would work. One of my favorite pictures of one of my best friends who, who really, um, he, he really kind of worked up the way of doing that a little bit was uh, a guy named Scott Sullivan. And we had a picture of him for years, although we don't have it now. He used to go down to Beach Reach, and there was a picture of him with a Bible in one hand and a beer in the other one. And he's offering, of the two, he's offering the guy the beer. Um, but he's using, it was the guy's beer, and he had said, can I borrow your beer? Now, imagine moral perfection was represented by this beer. And so then he was using that exact picture with that guy and then saying, you, how do you get that? I can only get it from you. And so that was the picture. So I really want to encourage you guys um, as we're looking at these um, and engaging with these conversations, and we'll still do, hopefully we're going to do another one next week. And then we're going to have a life group that starts this fall, um, as with all our life groups. And next week we'll be looking in detail at all the life groups, but we're going to have a life group this fall that's all about developing the habit and practice of how to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, And however you share that, however is best, and you get to adjust that, and you get to share it from your perspective, but it's important that all of us are prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have, that we're all ready to do that. Um, Not in a pushy, arrogant way, um, but it doesn't have to be. In fact, it's, it's the opposite. It is, hey, let's be, I gently, I need you to know this, um, years ago, and I think we could be challenged by this, years ago, a man named Penn Gillette, who is uh, from the Magic Team, uh, Penn and Teller, who is a, uh, I think, raging atheist is a, is a safe way to describe him. Um, but, but it was fascinating that he, um, he, once he came out and said he was an atheist, that he, he came back a year later after a year and said, um, man, I've been inundated with Christians. He's like, everywhere I go, they, they find my private email, they show up at my hotel room, they stop me in the foyer, they're waiting for me after the show. And he said, he said what struck him was all his atheist friends were like, oh, don't you hate that? Don't you just, isn't that so irritating? It's so unkind or pushy or arrogant for them to do that. And Penn, being an intelligent person, said, no, they think I'm going to hell. They think I'm separated from a God who loves me. He said, in all of these experiences, now several, probably thousand within a year, he said, I've only had one or two that were anything but gentle, respectful, kind, positive. He said, there's been a couple of jerks, but there's always a couple of jerks. He's like, all the rest of them have been really kind to me. And he said, exactly the opposite. He goes, I'm not converting. It's not going to happen. But he said, if, if I was going, the Christians that I have run into <coughs> this year, what strikes me is how much they love me. How much, they don't even know me and how much they care about me, that they're willing to come and share this good news with me that I disagree with and I'm not converting. But, but wow, no atheist should not be offended by that. The opposite. You'd be offended if people aren't coming to you 
and sharing their faith with you. That means they don't care enough about you to try to rescue you from this horrible eternity that they think you're going to be living in. So if, if they loved us, they would tell us. And I think people know that inside, even the ones who act offended by it. I think they know inside, if you love them, you would tell them. And so I, I would encourage us to do that, to find ways to do And I, I'm not telling you somehow I'm good at this. I'm not. Um, it's not my heart. I like teaching the gifted and talented class, right? That's my favorite class to teach. I, I want to teach those students, the people who are eager to learn and can't wait. I don't like pushing past people's barriers for them to learn. Um, and so this is a, I know that, and that's hard for us, but for us to initiate those conversations over time and, and get those opportunities to do that, I really want to recommend. L- notice this is, this is that picture that we've been created. Now, I want to talk a little bit and connect this to baptism for just a few minutes. It tells us <clears throat> in 1 Peter 3 also, <clears throat> we'll, we're going to have a lot of fun unpacking this. I'm going to read a phrase, and you're going to go, oh, I can't wait to hear that. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Bob, I think you referenced that verse when we were talking. This, this is the gospel in a sentence right there. If you need the gospel, there, there it is in a sentence. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Go back and look at that sentence again. And think about how much fun we're going to have unpacking Jesus proclaiming something to the spirits from the time of Noah. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, to verse 21, listen to this. Baptism, so we experienced that this morning. I hope you're out there. We had three baptisms this morning, um, Sean and Camden and Jacob and, and them being baptized by key men in their lives, their dads, or in, uh, in Sean's case, Paul McKenzie, if you weren't out there, you missed him. That was the one chance to see him during his sabbatical was out there. Um, and uh, he, he came back in out of, out of retirement, but not retirement, just sabbatical to, uh, to do that baptism. But the, um, we experienced the gospel through that baptism, which corresponds to this, meaning the, the, those who are saved through the water, now saves you. Now, we just said a minute ago the baptism doesn't save you. So what's the, what's the issue here? Notice what Peter says. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. The word there for conscience references, it's a special word that references the fact that humans have a knowledge of right and wrong, that there's some part of us, like an organ within us, that can make ethical decisions. It's it's really a statement of my moral stance, a good moral stance is the idea. That is the that that is the the baptism is an appeal to God for that good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about this. We will spend more time when we get here to this. But the idea that there is this the symbolic and the sacred and how they are so intertwined in Scripture. And of course they are. We are, we are amphibians. We're bodies and we're spirits. And so we need the, the physical expression of the sacred in order to understand the sacred a lot of times. We need those two things together. I got to baptize, uh, be involved in, I got to help baptize, because uh, you know my love for not being the one to dunk, but, but having other people baptize because most people, even Baptists, have no ambition to ever baptize anybody, which just seems so weird to me. Um, and so they're like, no, no, let the pros do it. Like, this, no, this is your chance. You. And so it's been amazing to me how, how what a blessing that's been to people. And so I had, I had a husband and a wife, um, who, neither of whom had ever been baptized as believers who wanted to be. And, uh, and then there was a wife who wanted to be and a husband who wanted Actually, it was six. And then another couple who wanted to be. And so what we did is I got them to share their faith and what the gospel was to them and how they had put their faith in Christ. And then I said the words while they dunked each other. And so, and so the husband baptized the wife, then the wife baptized the husband, or the, the wife who had already been baptized, baptized, etc. All of that, you follow? And so it was, um, it was fun because I was up there saying the words, and I would say it, and then they would be standing there looking at me, and I'm like, and now. Like, I'm, I'm literally, you can see me on the camera doing this symbol. Now down. Now up. Like, they're, they're watching me. So it's, it's, uh, it's so awesome. And they're so, and what's amazing because there's, I'm, I'm saying the words, which is the scary part, but they, I'm, I'm saying, we now baptize you, our sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I asked the question, is this pool water sacred? Well, obviously, in a sense, 
No, it's pool water. There were people playing in it all day and dunking each other all day. And so there's a sense in which you would go, no. But listen, when God proclaims something, that then makes something sacred. That's what makes something sacred is God's proclamation about that thing. Then we get to engage in that sacred experience when we obey and align ourselves with Him. And so there is also a very important sense in which while we were there in the water doing those baptisms, that water is absolutely sacred. It is a, it is a sacred experience for them to get to partake in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll, we're going to have a lot more fun with that as we get through this. The water is sacred, but not because it's water, and not just because someone got dunked in it, but because of what Christ has taught us about baptism, and then us engaging in that makes that that powerful, sacred thing. It's sacred because God has declared it, and we get to partake in it because we are sacred because He has declared it. It's such a cool picture that we get to experience. Um, the, the, the symbols and the sacred being so intertwined is a beautiful thing. It says in verse 22, referencing the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which sanctifies anything, who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers being subjected to Him. The truth is, life is hard, like a lot like being in the wilderness. It's always something, isn't it? Too hot, too cold, too busy, too hard, too disappointing, too lonely, too painful. The free gift that He has purchased us from this. As a boy um, spending hours at the university pool at SFA, where my dad was a professor, I loved the buoyancy. My mom would swim laps for a long, long, long time, and so I would just play usually by myself in the pool. I loved the buoyancy and the grace that comes with being underwater, the coolness of diving low and then rising up out of the water. I equate being underwater to flying. I don't know about you guys, but that's how I feel. I'm always surprised when I dive down in the water and come out on the other end, and I don't just keep going. It feels like that should be what happens. To be lowered in the wilderness where you're hot and you're sweaty and you're hurting and you're hungry and you're tired and you're thirsty, to be lowered into the cool water and have it be restful like being dead then raised back up into the newness of a person washed within the world. For my soul to be like that, to be washed and renewed and set anew in alignment with Christ Jesus, that is what it means to step out of the wilderness. We, uh, we don't understand this fully because we live in an air-conditioned, climate-controlled, chlorinated world. But when you live in the wilderness, even just for a few days, you begin to understand the, how hungry we get and how desperate we get for the light when it's in the dark, and how desperate we get for shelter when we're cold, and how desperate we get for thirst when there's not enough water. And it's fascinating that one of the, one of the two times that we get a glimpse into the new eternity, into the new Jerusalem under the new heaven on the new earth, is in Revelation 7, speaking to those who have been martyred during the tribulation, is this poem. And again, guys, y'all can come on up and we'll get started with the, at the, we'll do communion here. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. This reminds me of David's 23rd Psalm. For the Lord is in the midst of the throne, he will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes.